Welcome to the View from the Penalty Box podcast with Cam Connor. Classic hockey stories from one of hockey's toughest enforcers. Episode 19, I'm Cam Connor with my son Chris. So this will be more like episode 18.5 because dad has a flight to catch in a couple hours. But we wanted to make sure that we announced who won the puck from buying the t-shirts over the last couple of weeks. And we wanted to thank everyone who purchased shirts. They There was a lot more orders than we expected. So maybe the next thing is we'll be watching a hockey game and we'll see your shirt in the crowd. Well, that'd be good. I'd like that. So we will announce who won. And what's interesting is, Dad, you said that the person who won has a choice of three different pucks, or you'll just give him a a choice of the pucks that you have in case there's a team that he really likes. Maybe you can keep a a few of the pucks that mean something to you. I was thinking that. uh, You're right, Chris. I mean, if... uh they live in one of the cities at the NHL or a, a city that I have a puck from, no problem. Otherwise, I was thinking the teams that I played for, Montreal, the Oilers, and New York Rangers, I have pucks from uh, those teams, so they're welcome for to take one of those three. Well, you don't actually know who won, but uh, you, you, you won't have a, a puck from this city, I don't think, although they do have an NHL team. So the winner is Dave Shearer, and that's S H E E R E R from Miami. So if you want us, Miami, to, if you want us to hand deliver the puck, yeah, you got an extra bedroom. We will, but uh, so you have a Gmail email account, so we will send you an email, and we will let you know the pucks that you can choose from. So again, thanks for everyone for buying the shirt and. The shirts and the mugs and different things are still available if you're interested. The contest is closed, but I'm sure we'll do another one. Uh, but we do appreciate you supporting the podcast and the website to look at different merchandise that we have is viewfromthepenaltybox.com slash merch, M-E-R-C-H. So unfortunately, this will be a much shorter podcast because you have a flight to catch, but we did want to check in, uh, announce the winner. But we thought we'd cover a few topics quickly and, well, as quick as Dad can can talk. So if you live in Canada, I'm sure you're aware of a really inspirational story from the Olympics that happened a couple days ago when Mark McMorris won a bronze medal at the Olympics, I believe in snowboarding. And I know that took our nation interest and, I, and for sure you, Dad. So I'll let you take over and you can talk a little bit about how inspirational his journey was. Uh, I actually watched his documentary twice, and it was just amazing. This snowboarder, uh, last Olympics, I believe he was 20 years old. He won a bronze medal. And the snowboarders, they're a different breed of guy. Very athletic. This fella had broke his femur pretty bad, and it took quite a while for him to come back. And he fought all the odds, came back, Got right back to uh, the level that uh, he was snowboarding at before he got hurt. And then they showed him, uh, he's sponsored, he's got a lot of sponsorships, and he was out in the 
up in the mountains somewhere on the new powder, and the helicopters dropped him and some buddies off. Bottom line is, he did a jump, and he didn't realize that he did a jump way the heck up in the air, and he was headed right for some big old trees, and bang, right into the tree, just like the trunk of it. He broke six ribs. I think he he punctured a lung. He dislocated his hips. He broke an arm. I think he did something to his spleen. This guy was a mess. His his buddies and his brother were there, and so they did everything right. They kept him warm, and uh, they called in a helicopter, and it took an hour and a half. And this was less than a year ago, and they called they called in a helicopter, and they took him to the hospital. And he was in there probably only five or six weeks because they in Canada here they they get you out of the hospital as quick as possible. He thought he should have been in there a little bit longer, but he said as soon as they took the tubes out of his nose, they they kicked him out of the hospital. Well, this guy could barely walk, and he had to do a lot of therapy in water. He had two or three different therapists, and his progress was slow. And they couldn't believe, you know, this guy. First thing he said in the hospital is, I got to go to the Olympics. I got to get better. And so this documentary on Mark was unbelievable. The pain he went through. And uh, after X amount of months of working hard, he started to heal. So they showed him about, you know, 10 months later, 9, 10 months later. He went to Australia to some mountain up there where she just loved to snowboard on. And he started to do some of his old tricks. And his buddies were saying, you know, it's just uh, amazing that you picked up right where you left off after these injuries. And, of course, he fell one time. And he laid there. And his shoulder got screwed up again. But he was determined. This guy was determined. And he wasn't a whiner. Look at me. I think it was just fabulous. It got me pumped up. It was almost like a Rocky movie. You know, how hurt he was. And if you see him in his hospital bed, you just say, man, you know, your mind might say one thing, but your body's saying another. This guy overcame so much now. He's 24 years old. He went to the Olympics. I know I was cheering for this guy. And he gets big air. He goes over these jumps and he does triples and unbelievable what this guy can do and every time I was holding my breath hoping for him that he didn't crash because to me with what his body has gone through I'm thinking it won't take much to put him back so if you get a chance to watch this Mark McMorris his documentary please do it is unbelievable where did you watch the documentary well it was on in Canada CBC and it was on a couple times, and it wouldn't surprise me if, if they have it on again, or maybe you can Google it. But amazing what this guy went through, and he wasn't looking for any pity. He it's He's like a hockey player. You know, when we get hurt and, and you see players get pucks right in the mouth or some serious injuries, they even talked about back in the 60s with a defenseman for Toronto named Bobby Bond. He broke his freaking leg, and he wanted to keep playing. And he scored the game-winning goal with a broken leg. Like, how do you do that? You know, but it's not us trying to be heroes. We love the game of hockey, and we want to play. And I know for me, one time, you know, well, there's a few things that happened. But I got a butt end in the mouth, 
and uh, I had to go off and get stitches. Uh, my lips were just split like a saloon door. You know, I wanted to come back and play, not only because I wanted, because I love the game, but I want to get the guy back that did that to me. So there's a lot of motivation. So he reminded me of a hockey player. My hat's off to this guy. So because you have your flight to catch tonight, Dad, we're actually missing a fun event at uh, Roger's Place tonight. They're hosting the greatest team ever, where I think I heard 3.6 million votes were cast, where uh, people voted for who they thought was the greatest team ever, and the Oilers 84-85 team won, so there's a big uh, party, and they're doing a ceremony, and a lot of the old players are attending, and I'm bummed out because I could have went with you, but uh, I guess you got to be out of town, but I thought I would ask you if you had thoughts on the greatest team ever, or at least talking about dynasties, things like that. Yeah, I have some thoughts on it. You know, how could you... It's just an opinion. So how could you say, you know, they're not the greatest team ever, the 84-85 Oilers. They were outstanding. They won, I believe, four or five championships in a row. And if over three million fans, if they voted, then the majority rules. So this is the team they picked. You know, when I look back, I don't think today you're going to see any more dynasties in the game of hockey. With salary caps, some of your great players... They have to trade them and bring in some younger players that don't make as much. And I don't think you're going to see the word or see a team that is a dynasty that's going to win four or five in a row like you did back in my day with the Montreal Canadiens. In the 70s, they won four Stanley Cups in a row. And I believe the season before I got there or the season before that, they only lost seven games all year. That was an unbelievable team. So, you know, they would have been right up there in the fan voting. You look at the Islanders. They won, I think, four years in a row. I believe that was the early 80s. And what a team they had. They had guys that, uh, if you want to play physical hockey, they had Bob Nystrom. They had Gillies. They had a couple other guys that you want to play that type of game. We can do it. They had Brian Trotsay. They had Mike Bossy. They had guys that could score, butch scoring. So they could play any way you wanted to play. They were an unbelievable dynasty. And they had my good buddy John Tonelli on that team as well. John and I played together with the Houston Arrows. That guy just puts his head down and works the whole time. So, you know, I'm sure it was close between my era. And I I really don't know if they go back into the 16 level. I'm sure there was some dynasties back in that day. So... You know, hats off to the Oilers. I just wish I was playing on that team so I could have been part of it today instead of possibly sitting in the stands. And we just wanted to take a quick second to thank our sponsor, SeatGeek, for again sponsoring our podcast. So if you're not familiar with SeatGeek, they are an online company and they have an app and they help you find the best seats for concerts and events and sporting events. What they do is they look through all the different ticket sites and they will aggregate the best deals and the best seats for you. So if you have any events coming up, give them a shot, download their app, and if you enter the word penalty into the promo code, you save $20. So again, that's SeatGeek with the SeatGeek app. Enter the word penalty into the promo code. So we have a question, and this comes from Michael. 
And he's asking if you have any of your original jerseys left or any of your teammates' jerseys. And I and this is a controversial question that I wasn't going to ask, but uh, it's quite interesting, so I will ask you. Well, I don't know what I've said in the previous 18 podcasts. Uh, sometimes I talk to my son, I say, well, I'm going to talk about this. And he'd say, you already did. So I apologize if I'm repeating myself, if you've been following me. You know, my podcast from day one. If you haven't, then you probably haven't heard it for sure. But when I was a young kid growing up in Winnipeg, I didn't go to many hockey games, but when I would go to some of the junior games and somebody broke a stick, I would, other people would always get some broken sticks that they would give the kids, and I did my best to get a broken stick and never got them, never would give me any. And so as I turned pro myself, now, I have access to a lot of great players' hockey sticks. Uh, and so, I started collecting memorabilia before it was actually popular. So, I had a fair amount of sweaters. I know with the trainers, they've always been underpaid, at least back in my day. I would never steal anything off the hockey team. You would just have to talk to the trainer, ask if they had extra sweaters, or if you saw some sweaters hanging up for a year or two, and ask what they're going to do with it. They would sell you these things. So I, I would buy some of the jerseys that I had through the trainers. I know that there were sporting goods stores that would buy whatever the teams were selling. And then they would resell them. And so I bought some Minnesota Fighting Saints, which I think is the best logo ever created for a hockey team. Just love the Minnesota Fighting Saints. And, you know, I collected uh, practice jerseys. One of the trainers that worked with the Rangers, I asked him if he had any old jerseys, and, and I'm talking about in the 50s, and somehow, I don't know where he got them from, but he, he gave them to me. And when I look at them, they were the most ripped up jerseys from the 50s I ever saw. But then I talked to other people, and they say, those ones from the 50s are hard to come by, and they're ripped up ones. Those are ones from back in the games when the sweaters used to get ripped and so on. So I've actually sold a few of these ones that I thought had no value at all. And I uh, was pleasantly surprised they sold so quick as is. So so I've had quite, and sticks, I probably still have 60 sticks at home. I've got team autograph sticks from the WHA. I've got, I made the World Hockey All-Star team and I've got every player in the All-Star game uh, on our team signed off on it. So, and then I played in the Heritage game, which the NHL, when they talk about the first outdoor game, they never mentioned Edmonton and the minus 30-something below game we played that day. And that was in February of 2000, excuse me, November of 2003. It was the coldest game you ever saw. But I guess the NHL, they don't count that because they didn't think of it. And it was the Edmonton Oilers that actually came up with the idea, let's have an outdoor game. So they did all the work, and they put it together. The NHL said, yeah, you can do it if you want to. But because the NHL didn't think of it, they don't count it as the first outdoor game in reality it was. So I've got, when I played on the Montreal Canadiens, I've got all the great guys on our team have signed their own their old wooden sticks. So when I played in Montreal, we had wooden sticks, and I have a bunch of those. 
So I brought in LaFleur's and LaPointe and Savard's and other Robinson and other great players and had them and the whole team sign off on this. Plus, I have a lot of other stuff. And uh, then I, I've collected my jerseys and, and again, I've said practice jerseys. So I, I have a fair amount. Unfortunately, I did have someone come into my house who I knew as a real close friend and it was he stole some of my jerseys and he actually put it on eBay and sold them. So which ones are they in case uh, anyone sees them out of curiosity? Well, this was probably 20 years ago. And if I remember correctly, there were like uh, some Phoenix Roadrunner jerseys of mine and uh, Houston, I think Houston Arrows and uh, New York Rangers for sure. One of my New York Rangers jerseys, which was uh, pretty bad because there was a gentleman that when I played with the Rangers, I loved talking to the fans after, you know, I, I honestly did. It's never on any Eagle trip. I just loved talking to the fans that would wait outside for you. And there was this one fellow, his name was, I never forgot him, Bob Arthur, and he lives in Delaware right now. And he said, you know, Cam, your career's coming to an end. Have you thought about what you want to do? And so... We would chat, make a long story short. He said, you know what you'd be good at? You'd be good at computer consulting. So he kind of pointed me in the right direction. He didn't get me a job, but I I understood what the job was about. And I went and knocked on doors in New York City. And sure enough, I found a company that was willing to train me. And I stayed in that field for 25 years. And I actually really enjoyed it. So as a reward, his favorite team was the New York Rangers. He lived and died with that team. And if I took him to a game, he wouldn't just sit in his seat. He would sit in the front of the seat and he'd be bent over. He was following. He just loved it. And that did my heart a lot of good. So because he helped me as best he could, I decided I wanted to give him one of my jerseys that I had. And so I presented this to Bob and he was so taken back, and he just said, thank you so much. And, you know, it made me feel good that I made this guy feel good. So years and years go by, and Bob and I stay in touch. And one day, when I'm back in Canada, I get a parcel delivered to my house, and I open it up, and it's my hockey jersey, my New York Ranger jersey. And I'm saying, and it's a note from Bob. And I'm saying, well, why would he be sending this back? And he, his note basically said, Cam, you know how much I love this jersey and everybody that comes in my house, I show them my New York Ranger jersey and he said, I just love it. But, you know, it's got your name on the back of it. And you have a son, which was Chris said right here, he said, and you have a son and it should go to your boy. He said, it's it's his father and as much as I like it, I think it should go to your boy. And that speaks a lot about Bob, you know, it really does. So... I gratefully took it back, and that was put aside for my boy. And, of course, that was one of the jerseys that this individual took, and he sold that. So I always feel bad. So, Chris, you're minus one jersey for sure. And how you actually know that the jerseys were stolen, and I know this story, is you the, the person, and we know who it is, but we won't say who it is, you saw in the middle of the night come up from where we keep all the jerseys and things like that with a big duffel bag and you basically thought it was suspicious but you never thought he would do something like that so you didn't you didn't question it but we're pretty sure that's what happened so if you see a new york rangers jersey with connor on the back that's i guess an original then 
That would have been mine, and that would have been yours. No, it's out there now, and it's gone, and so there's nothing. I'm not saying I I want it back. That's not what I'm saying. It is what it is, and like I said, it was 20 years ago. It's behind me now, but uh, I I don't really know why this friend would actually do that, but it's done. Now everybody knows. And on a positive note, you have a a lot more, right? So we don't have to focus on the one that's missing. The ones that are missing. (laughs) The ones. So I guess we will finish the podcast with one last interesting topic that uh, you've mentioned a few times, but we never have had time to cover, and it was about being hypnotized in your career. Well, I'm going to try to present my story as organized as I can, but it happened, you know, when I was like 20, 21 years old. So you got to recall a long time ago, 40 years ago. And basically what it was is I was playing for the world hockey team called Phoenix Roadrunners. And we had a a good entertaining team. And I talked about the coach, Sandy Huckle, who he didn't do me any favors whatsoever by being my coach, especially as, uh, you know, coming out of junior. And uh, I had a lot to prove, and he just sat me on the bench pretty well for two years. So after... Sitting on the bench, and you know, when it got rough, he'd throw me out, and it was just really a, not a very good environment. I would sit on the bench and not play most of the game, and so you know, I start to as a young guy. I mean, I'd start looking up in the stands, and I really wasn't paying attention as I should have been focused. Had you, you know, been part of the game and and having shifts every second or third line, you know, you're part of the team. And when they just sit you on the bench time and time again, you know, you start to lose focus uh, as much as I want us to stay focused after many, many games of just sitting there, just killing time. It was just an awful experience because of Sandy Knuckle. So I started to tell myself in the offseason after the first year, I said, I got to be able to focus more. This isn't right that uh, if I do get a shift or a couple shifts, I want to have my head in the right spot and I knew that I was looking around the stands and so that's just not what you're supposed to do. So I read about getting hypnotized that they could do a lot of benefit for me. So basically in the off season I stayed in Phoenix and I got a hold of a gentleman that was a hypnotist and I saw him I'm gonna say maybe ten different times and he had asked me, I, I told him what I just said now, that I needed to focus more and I needed to concentrate the whole game. So in a nutshell, what this guy said to me was, well, what's the last piece of equipment that you put on? And I didn't wear a helmet, so I thought about it and I said, I think it'd be my hockey gloves. So he hypnotized me that every time when my hockey gloves went on, I got a different frame of mind. And I became aggressive, concentrated. A lot of the traits that you would like as a hockey player. And so I didn't know, you know, if it was working or not. But that off season in Phoenix, I was skating with other hockey players, not necessarily pros, but some good hockey players. And I remember carrying the puck and some of the guys maybe were slashing me. And my focus came on and I got aggressive and and I really started playing as I would when I'm a pro against guys that weren't pro. And I started to feel pretty bad because I can get too aggressive. So I had to kind of tone it back 
So it kind of did get me focusing more, but it made me too aggressive when I wasn't out with the other pros. So so I uh, I actually somehow can't quite remember, but I told him of my issues and I didn't want to hurt anybody. So he programmed my brain a little bit different. So uh, whenever I was with the, the amateurs that I didn't become that aggressive. And, uh, and I, I just as I'm thinking, I don't know, this isn't, I'm not bragging, but we had training camp that year in Finland. So the world hockey team, we, with Phoenix World Honors, went to Finland and played in about three, four different cities. And there was always guys on our team that when we were taking on the Swedes and the Finns, they were playing really tough. And then we take on the tough teams. You didn't even know they were on our teams. They were just like little sheep. So I never liked that. So we went to Finland. I just said, I'm not going to be playing rough hockey against these guys. They're just playing a good game of hockey, and I didn't have to play rough. So I went out with the right frame of mind that I wasn't going to be running anybody or be aggressive. All of a sudden, these Finns, they started running me. I go in the corner, and a guy charged me from the blue line, and he hit me from behind, which you're allowed to do. And another guy, and then the, the Europeans, the user sticks quite a bit, and they slash the back of your legs where you're not protected, or the spear the back of your legs. And So I said, okay, if they're going to start doing that to me, I'm going to pick it up a notch. So I, I got into that old mode where I started to play as if it was North American hockey. And, and they ended up, uh, the coaches after one of the games said to me, Cam, uh, you can no longer play any games out here in Finland. I said, why not? Because I actually still have the article. Um, they banned me for life from ever playing hockey in Finland again because I was too aggressive. And one of the things, I guess, that didn't help is I remember I got out of the penalty box. I got the puck, and I got a breakaway. This is sort of embarrassing, but kind of funny. As I'm skating down the ice towards the other team's net, thinking about, am I going to shoot? Am I going to deke? These uh, fins that were chasing me were slashing me, and I would reach over my shoulder, and I'd whack them with my stick, and then, you know, they would spear my back of my leg, and I'd swing my stick at them. Make a long story short, <laughs> it's, it's actually comical, I think. I think I'm the only guy, I had a breakaway that I got three minor penalties on. So I don't think that helped uh, my popularity in Finland. i got to blame it all on being hypnotized to be too aggressive. Well, I think that's a, a good way to end our abbreviated podcast. So have a safe flight, Dad. And until next time. I'm Cam. And I'm Chris.